I am wondering if anybody here has seen the recent series on Netflix that's called Messiah. Anybody? Okay. It is a story set in the present time about a Middle Eastern man who mysteriously comes on the scene and seems to be extraordinary. This man preaches to enthusiastic crowds. In his sermon, he claims to be the spokesperson for God. He does some incredible things, which people label as miracles. He attracts many followers who are convinced that he is Messiah. Still others doubt him and question his motives. And it is revealed that many of these cynics have dubious reasons for their doubts. It is really a a fascinating show in that it leads us, the viewers, to engage with the question, what if someone shows up who claims to be sent from God, how do we respond? How ready or how hesitant are we to respond, to accept, to reject, to laugh off, to consider a hoax? Which for me as a Christian leads to the question which I'm not sure I like the answer to. Would I, if I had been there 2,000 years ago, have recognized Jesus as Messiah, or would I shrugged him off as a hoax? Would I have been cynical and not believing? With that, we turn to the first century. It is a time in which there are a plethora of messiahs coming out of the Middle East, coming out of the Middle Eastern woodwork, if you will. The subjugation of the Jewish people to one occupying empire after another has created an atmosphere for yearning for Messiah. Now, Messiah is understood in that context as a religious warrior who will thwart the enemy and will set up a messianic kingdom resistant to all future enemies. In that atmosphere of messianic ethos and a desire for liberation came Jesus. In the early days of his journey, he summoned people to join his messianic movement. While the Bible tells us stories of people who respond almost immediately, it would be appropriate to think that many others would reject Jesus' call to them. After all, just one more Messiah coming down the road. And he has been joined by two sets of brothers in those early days. Peter and Andrew and James and John. Peter and Andrew, at least it appears to me, suggest to Jesus that their good friend Philip might be a possible recruit. You see, Philip and Andrew... And uh, Peter, they grew up in the same fishing village on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
the vicinity of the small village of Bethsaida would be the location for a couple of Jesus' works of wonder <coughs> Excuse me, that made it into the Gospels. Just outside of Bethsaida, Jesus healed a blind man. And again, it was just outside of Bethsaida. Sorry about that. Jesus had fed thousands of hungry people with what seemed like a child's snack. So Jesus and his new followers approached Philip. And my assumption is that there is a lengthy conversation containing lots of back and forth. And Jesus invites Philip to join the movement. And Philip not only responds, but excitedly finds a good friend to see if he might be interested as well. Philip's friend Nathaniel is not so excited. He notes that this new Messiah comes from the backwater town of Nazareth and nobody of consequence has ever come from that insignificant broken down village. Philip listens to his friend. I think he then smiles at him and simply says, come and see. For Philip, there is no need to explain or defend or argue. He knows, or at least he believes, that if Nathaniel will just meet Jesus, he will come around. Come and see. And Nathaniel does. He comes and sees. He has an encounter with Jesus and responds as one of the first followers of this new Messiah. And it's important to recognize that each of these people, by saying yes to Jesus, puts themselves in the position to be the subject of the backlash that will inevitably come from the Roman occupiers. History has taught them that time and time again. Now, this is just one of two mentions of Nathaniel in the New Testament. The other mention comes 20 chapters later in John. Two or three weeks after the resurrection, Nathaniel is listed along with Peter and Thomas and James and John and a, <coughs> so sorry, and a couple unnamed disciples. They are hanging out by the, at the beach, waiting. They are waiting, waiting for Jesus to show up again. He has appeared to them a couple of times in his risen form, but now it's been a while. It's been some days, and they are antsy, bored, apprehensive, and they are wondering what is next. Finally, Peter, sitting on his hands, talking to his friend, says, I'm going fishing, because that is what you do when you are a fisherman in the first century, and you need to pass some time. You fish. You and I, we might choose to watch TV or take a hike or hit some baseballs or surf social media, but for Peter and these guys, it is fishing. They fish late into the evening, perhaps even all night, and they come up empty. In the morning, as they get back to shore, they discover Jesus on the beach, cooking fish for breakfast. A few years back, when Jesus had first met Nathaniel, he had told him, you will see greater things. Now, the one who had originally doubted if anything good could come from Nazareth, 
is eating fish and bread for breakfast with the risen Nazarene who has lived and taught and performed miracles and died and has come back to life. The words of Philip should be our words. Come and see. To be the church we are called to be, it is imperative that we invite people to meet Jesus. But not just any old Jesus. It is imperative that the Jesus we espouse is the Jesus of the Gospels. Not the Jesus of American religion. Not the Jesus of culture. Not the politically conservative Jesus or the politically liberal Jesus. Not the macho Jesus. The Jesus of the Gospels. The love your neighbor, pray for your enemies, turn the other cheek, seek the kingdom, serve one another, Jesus. Paraphrasing a post that I read recently online, the metamorphosis of Jesus Christ from Lord of unconditional love and unmerited favor, from sacrificing Savior, from the one who said the last shall be first and the first shall be last, who said in order to be great you must become the servant of all, from that to a symbol that stands for political power, for nationalism, for prosperity theology, for tribalism, for hate and misogyny and bigotry is truly the strangest transformation in human history. It behooves us to reject this Jesus and to embrace the Jesus who loves us and calls us to join him in the process of building the peaceable kingdom. Dr. King preached a sermon in February 1968. This is two months before he was assassinated, in which he said, Jesus gave us a new form, a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That a new definition of great, that's a new definition of greatness. It means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. May our hearts, our words, and our actions continually say, come and see. Amen.